Support for NPR comes from ADP. Say you're in HR and a solar flare adds an extra hour to each day. How would this impact business? ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to help your business take on the next anything. ADP, always designing for people. A warning, this episode contains explicit language. everyone. I'm Aisha Harris. The Pop Culture Happy Hour team is off today, so we're bringing you an excerpt of the podcast Raised by Ricky. Now, if you were a huge fan of the Ricky Lake show back in the 90s, this is the podcast for you. Ricky Lake is back, and each week she's breaking down all the historic moments from her hit talk show with her co-host, Kaylin Allen. Part rewatch podcast, part cultural retrospective, Raised by Ricky features conversations with John Waters, Andy Cohen, Sally Jesse Raphael, and many more. In this excerpt, Ricky sits down with writer and podcast host Tracy Clayton. Tracy watched Ricky Lake every day after school, and she talks about what makes the show so unforgettable, the importance of seeing Black representation on screen, and how Ricky influenced her own career in media. Well, let's get into it. Oh, let's hear that doorbell. Oh, I hear something. Tracy Clayton, thank you so much for being here to talk to us. I know how busy you are, and I appreciate you taking time to sort of break down what was the Ricky Lake show. I would have canceled anything on my schedule today to sit and talk to Ricky V. Lake. Are you kidding me? I can't believe that I'm here. This is so exciting. Thank you. How old were you when when the show came on your radar? I feel like I was there from the very, very first episode. So in 93, I was 11 years old. Um, that's also the year that my very first niece was born, which is, I link you two together because of that. Like, it's how I remember what year she was born and it's how I remember, how I remember when your show started. Is her name Ricky? <laughs> it's not, unfortunately. <laughs> I tried to get them to do it, but they were like, no, have your own kid. And then they I understand. And I was like, fine. Um, but yeah, so I'm 11 years old. I'm in a uh, middle school. And this is in Louisville, Kentucky. And as a kid, I was really, really anxious, right? I say was, like, I'm not anxious now. I've been anxious, like, my whole entire life. And so when you're a kid, like, school's already a lot. But when you're a kid with, like, undiagnosed anxiety disorder, it's just, like, surviving every day. You know, it's just like, oh, my gosh, anything could happen. And so what I would do is I would set my VCR. Shout out to VCR. Our friend over here, Kaylin's learning what a VCR is. I know what a VCR is. Oh, Oh my gosh. He's a youngin, and I don't mean to—I don't mean to like talk down to you at all, Kaylin. But he was born in 1996. Okay, wow. Just I had a VCR. Yeah. That's the same year that uh, Toy Story came out. Wow. I had to once explain to a coworker of mine how a pager worked. So <laughs> I get it. Um, I would set my VCR to record um, the Ricky Lake show, and immediately after that was the Jenny Jones show. And the very first thing I would do when I came home, I would take a deep breath because I'm just like, yes, I made it again. I survived. Then I would go get a snack. I would go sit my behind right in front of my TV, like right on the floor and just start seeing what I missed out on on the show that day. And it was just like the best self-care routine, I think. Like it was definitely like I had to I had to I couldn't miss it. I couldn't miss the show. But why? What was it about? 
I think it was a few things. Um, for one, it was so entertaining, right? So I'm 11, and I'm seeing all of these, like, grown-ups, like, you know, like, 20, 21, 22. And in my head, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, this is what grown-ups talk about when we're not in the room. You know what I mean? And I also had this idea. So kids don't know, right? So a thing that I thought was that at some point, like, as you get older, you just, like, become a whole different, like you just look different somehow, like your features change, (laughs) your interests and all that stuff change. And so I would watch young black people on this show and wonder, like, I wonder if this is the type of person that I'm going to like grow into and become, Mm. you know, am I going to be the, the loud girl who will do whatever for her man and let him talk to her all crazy? Am I going to be the person who's just like, not going to take any, you know, and it really helps me figure out, you know, what my options were. Because hmm. the the other places that I found myself represented on TV didn't really give me a whole lot of choice, <laughs> you know? Well, Friends was on. Friends launched the uh, the TV series Friends, which, of course, you, you yeah. weren't represented. No. That was the no, year no. after. I mean, but because I'm not black, but mm-hmm. I, for the run of the show, I mean, people referred to me as a, as a real homegirl. Yeah. You know? Oh, it was, it was definitely a black show, in my opinion. Like, I knew that the host was not black, but, I mean, like, it just felt like a black Why did like I get a, a pass show. then, do you think? I don't know. I have no idea. I honestly think that it's because you spoke to your guests as if they were humans. And it didn't feel, like, exploitive in the way that, like, um, everybody knows that Jerry Springer was a show. And the purpose is to bring people of a very specified demographic, you know, usually, like, poor people, usually people ostracized and in the margins, either because of their sexuality or their race or, you know, their income. And, like, the point is to bring them on the show and humiliate them, you know? Mm. Let's and you felt a- like our show wasn't, that, that, no, that wasn't the point of the mm. show. Not at all. Not at all. And that was best represented for me when your response to whoever was on stage was different from the audience response. Because, like, this is also the era where, like, fat shaming is fine. And right. um, a lot of people just, you know, didn't believe in homosexuality. And right. so when the crowd would act and respond in ways that affirm those sorts of thoughts, you would always be like, no, 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 no. We don't have to do all that. Let's let's remember to be kind. Let's remember to be polite. And let me just say, Jermaine, you know, they booed you when you came out, but I think you were a very good sport for coming on here and being surprised in this way. And let me remind you guys, let's not boo the guys when they come out. They have no idea why they're here, okay? Let's give them a break. And I didn't see that anywhere else. I didn't see anyone, like, interject, especially when the audience is, like, having a good time. And I was just like, wow, this is important to the host that these people are treated like people. And I really do think that's the difference. Yeah. You know, Tracy, I I never even thought about that. Mm. I never really stopped to think that I was reacting to those kinds of um, what's the word stereotypes and, mm-hmm. and defending the the marginalized. I didn't right. think of it as like being different or being yeah. innovative at that time. Yeah, and I mean, I think that was rare to see then. It's rare to see now, honestly, depending on where you look. And it really meant something to me, and I didn't have the language then, but it meant something to me that this was happening in a room full of people who basically looked like me, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, like when the audience would cheer because something homophobic would say, that was the norm in my society, not in my household, you know what I mean? Like I was raised by amazing people, tender people who just didn't think that way. But I was used to black folks thinking that way and to see somebody be like, you know what? Hey, like, let's relax. Let's, Let's chill out. I was just like, whoa, 
whoa. <laughs> you know, like, well, well, I was going to ask. So you talk about, you know, you having anxiety. Mm-hmm. And really, it seems as though the show was a, a form of escapism for you. Absolutely. So especially being able to see yourself and almost in a way trying to find your identity within the show. How did mm-hmm. that then translate to your everyday life? Mm, that's a good question. Um, well, I think that as a middle schooler, right, as you're growing and as you're learning to become a human, kind of, you know, you're learning how to present yourself and how to walk down the street and how to dress and how to do all these other things. I think that influence was definitely there because I I thought everybody on the show was so cool. I mean, Mm. until they were like horrible and like cheating on everybody with everybody else, of course. But I think there was something about the show being set in New York City. Like I had never been there before. Mm. And I was just like, you know, like this, this is the cool stuff that I should like be aspiring to. You know, like it's cool. Like everybody's just like in Tommy Hilfiger coats and nautical coats. And like, you know, like all the standard stuff. But this just seemed... So much more like trendy and chic, uh, and I enjoyed it so much. And I was like, I I want to be somebody that people enjoy. So it definitely had like a, as big an impact, I would say, as like music videos. But the reason why I ask is that because I'm from Kansas City, so okay. I know what it's like, you know, to grow up in and like I grew up in Wyandotte County, which is a predominantly black neighborhood. It's the same uh-huh. place that Janelle Monae is from, and everything. And okay, shout but out. okay, but <laughs> but I mean, even I know who she is. <laughs> look, look at you, look at you, Ricky. <laughs> but I mm. also, when I saw black New Yorkers. It was yeah. different because yes, there was there was true. a there was like this independence. There was like this confidence that mm-hmm. you didn't see anywhere else. Because yes. as a kid, I always wanted to move to New York just uh-huh. from watching TV and seeing uh, black New Yorkers on TV and being like, wow, they yeah. are so strong and powerful. So did yeah. that also play a role in how you grew up? Uh, so it definitely resonates with me. The difference is I never wanted to move to New York. I didn't want to visit New York. I was like, this city looks big and terrifying <laughs> and scary. It's people everywhere. Obviously, the people in the audience are rowdy. You know, like what? Right. I was like, if I went there, I would die. But I still wanted to be those people. The New York style of blackness, mm. um, I think, is one that has always really permeated pop culture, like in uh, music, you know, like Jay-Z, Wu-Tang, like all the really, really big acts that came out of New York City. Ricky, when you mentioned Friends, it made me think of Living Single, which yep. was also mm. one of my favorite, favorite shows. And they completely just ripped off Living Single, turned yep. it into Friends. Like They did. You're yes. right. Queen Latifah and I had a conversation about this once I interviewed her and she was just like, no, they stole it. They just stole the whole thing. But um, the Ricky Lake show, like I got to see like those black New York prototypes that I saw on Living Single and like in all the music videos. And I got to see that like those are based on actual people that exist. Mm. And so it was sort of like just like a window. It was like a mini reality show. You know, like these people are bringing like their actual lives and the actual drama, which is what we watch reality shows for. And it was literally like, oh, my God, I can't believe that like this happens to some people like the all of the things they were going through and like I'm eight months pregnant and I'll dress however I want it's like what what in the world um and those people were for the most part celebrated right I mean yeah yeah I mean obviously people were absurd and many sounded stupid and did Mm -hmm. really awful things but at the end of the day it felt the tone of it was like a party right yeah Mm -hmm. yes it was like a party and I think with the guests on the show, it just really felt like, you know, when they showed up, 
this is who they were, this, the same person that they were on the show. And when they leave the stage, that's who they're going to remain, you know? Right. So I definitely see the link there. Is there is there any clip that stands out to you? Like, is there any moment that really was like, mm-hmm. I mean, you remember the wig snatch, right? You that's the that. moment I was going to mention. Oh, that really? was the moment, yes. I remember that particular story so well. Like, I remember where the people were sitting on the stage. Because it wasn't just grabbing a wig. It was grabbing the wig, and then there was the wig cap underneath. And Mm -hmm, then her mm -hmm. hair was shockingly a different color and texture than the wig. And it was like... It was so taboo. Like the fact that that woman pulled that <laughs> off. And, and I, if I remember correctly, she was deserving maybe? Yes. Maybe? Yes. Absolutely. She needed to be kicked to the curb. Lose the zero. Get yourself a hero. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite. My favorite. Um, but yeah, so the woman who got her wig snatched was there because she had been sleeping with the husband, boyfriend, somebody Mm -hmm, of the woman who mm -hmm. did the snatching. And I remember the woman whose wig got snatched is being like real unapologetic about it. You know, like I'm not worried about their relationship. That's his business. Blah, 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 blah. And you're so right about how shocking it was because I remember recently in the last couple of years, I think, what was that show with them? Viola Davis? How to, how to, how to get away with murder. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. There was a scene that, like, people were talking about for days on Twitter because she she takes her wig off. Because she took her wig off. And that's just not something that you see when it comes to representation of black women in drama. You don't touch the hair, whether it grew out of their head or not. You don't touch it. That's in the first season. And she takes the wig off and it takes the makeup off. And then when the husband Mm -hmm. comes in, she says, Why is your on a dead girl's phone? Oh, what? Because that's that far. (laughs) Oh, yeah, because that's because she found out that her husband was sleeping with the student that was dead. Oh, you're talking about that Uh, show. I'm I'm like, somehow you have details of my old show. Oh, that's on the Viola Davis. I got it. I was like, I don't remember that episode. (laughs) (laughs) That's one I would have thought I would remember. Right. Oh, my gosh. Right. That moment and those women. Yeah. Um, In talking about like the type of authenticity that you could find on your show that you didn't get on other shows. Like, I just remember the drama of it so explicitly because that woman knew, number one, that she had on a wig and she knew, Uh number two, what she looked like under the wig and she Uh knew, number three, what it would mean for her to remove said wig in the fashion that she did. And it was just like, yes, this is something that black women would do if this was happening, like, on their couch. They're confronting each other about whose man is whose and it just happened in slow motion and then she just sat and just looked at her as the crowd is going, like... Crazy. Wild. I feel like she had to feel so powerful in that moment. The name of that episode is I've slept with your man and I'll do it again and again. Bam. And that's yeah, exactly how she felt. That'll, yep. That'll get that's you every exactly time. Exactly how she felt. What's another moment that jumps out for you, Tracy? Can you uh-huh. Do you remember yeah. uh Fred Phelps? Yes, I was actually going to bring that up. Um not quite as fun as the Week Snatch episode. No. Um I I, re- I remember there was this obsession for a while on daytime TV talk shows, like for a good little while, of just like having like really racist pieces of on. Yeah. To just like, yeah. They did it on Oprah too. Their hatred. They did it on, they did it once on Oprah, and Oprah was like, that's it. You know, oh, like yeah. never again in this way. Do you remember that whole thing? Yeah, I do remember that. Yep. I do. I do remember that too. Mm hmm. And I think of your show. Well, this was my version, I yes, guess. Yes, exactly, exactly. And I'm so impressed with it to this day because, you know, like you've got your Jerry Springers who, you know, 
a Christmas with the clan and it's like a full turkey dinner on the table because they know they're gonna like have a food fight and mm-hmm. like that. Like that's not productive. That's it's it's buffoonery and that's what it was supposed to be. Yeah. Um I remember Donahue and Montel did it often, not to that degree, but still like the conversations just weren't conducive to anything but like giving these a platform. Right. And um, I remember during the Fred Phelps episode just feeling like disgusting about the stuff that he was saying. And I remember Ricky, you were like, okay, this is enough. We're not going to continue on with this conversation. Because like it had just hit a point where it's unhealthy, it's unhelpful. Why are you waging an anti-gay holy war? Well, you know, that's colorful language, my dear. But all I'm doing is what I've been doing for the past 46 years without any exception every Sunday, and that's preaching the Bible. For some reason, it's got on the front burner now, and I think it's because the f***s have come, as they say, out of the closet, beginning at Stonewall, and pushed it in everybody's face. Excuse me. Before you go any further, I'd like to just say, I don't know the words you use in your home. I just don't find the words that you're using here appropriate. Well, my my dear... He didn't deserve to be there. He didn't deserve the microphone. And that's not something that Anyone other than Oprah would have done, I don't think, yeah. because as long as they're I was getting like shaking. the hits in the right, it was disgusting. I was I was terrified because I'd never been disrespected like that, and mm. he was saying things that I did not understand. And I'm mm-hmm. not someone that's religious; I don't understand all the things he was throwing at me from the Bible. And I just mm-hmm. I threw him out, you know. And I was like, yeah. I, was, I was 25. Mm-hmm. I don't have a journalism degree. <laughs> I didn't finish college. I don't know from church, and yet uh-huh. I just had to like just take the moment and just say, I'm not going to stand for this kind of talk. Mm -hmm. But I'm glad I was able to hold my own with him. And I think it did have a reverberation effect. You know, Mm -hmm. it did get a lot of, you know, I mean, I certainly didn't do Phil Donahue interviews. Yeah. Yeah. Mine was more sort of the girl next door. But, um, but yeah, I I think the point was to, to reflect what is out there. And this guy was doing a lot of damage at that time. He was Mm -hmm. going to AIDS victims funerals and picketing. I mean, he was Baptist church guy, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which was in Kansas. Really? Yeah, no, it was. It was definitely a, a teaching moment for me because yeah. you know I had to sort of step into my power whether I was com- comfortable or not. You yeah. Know? Well, me as an interviewer, like I mean, of course, as I'm watching you interview, I was terrified of speaking to people, so I never would have thought that I would have gotten into like a podcasting role at all. Really? Never. Never. Oh my gosh! But I tell you what, when I did, guess who I studied? You studied me? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because in that moment, that moment always stood out to me as a moment that really showed me, like, you don't have to put up with any of this. You know, like when somebody is like in your space being disrespectful, being poisonous and toxic, you know, like even if you're only what, four, eleven, five, one, I'm not too sure how you are, but like, you know, you could be the I'm smallest five, three. Thank you very oh. much. My apologies. <laughs> My sincerest apologies. I'm five, three and a quarter. And if you leave off that quarter, we're going to fight. I, I hear you. I get it. Yeah. Well, do you know that I have zero real training? Like zero. Like I. Really? Honestly, when they gave me the job, I'm not kidding you, because I was a big fan of Oprah, obviously. Mm-hmm. I'd been on her show for Hairspray. I'd met her. She was my idol. And I would simply, in my head, say, okay, what would Oprah ask? What would Oprah say? Mm, yeah. You know, like, I really just wanted to tap into just the way she was with people. And mm-hmm. then when I started to hit my groove, and we started doing the test shows, and it was working really well, it just... 
it became instinctual. It became like it was just listening, being a good listener, being curious, yeah, yes, being yes. interested in people, being a bit of a gossip, being mm-hmm. very like open about my life and my, you know, I just lost a lot of weight. So I think mm-hmm. I was relatable to people. I was non-threatening. You know, it just, it just worked, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. I know that it can be intimidating to be in a room full of like people, first of all, but like. The format of of those shows back then is very specific because, like, not only is there, like, a listening audience, it's a talking audience. It's a rowdy audience, you know? How how did you learn how to deal with and navigate? Because you kept them in control fairly, fairly well. I did, and I didn't wear an earpiece, so I was not in touch with the control room. I know, I know. That's sort of my, like, the thing I want people to know because— it was distracting for me. It took yeah, me out of the moment. I agree. It just, it pulled me out and it made me, what? What are they, what are they telling me to say or do? Mm-hmm. My friends and the people in my life would say that I have been given this gene where I have no doubt. There's no, mm-hmm. like, I don't, I don't carry that doubt in me. And in this case, they gave me this big show. Mm-hmm. They think I can do it. I mean, same thing when John Waters hired me for Hairspray. Was I a great dancer? No, I could, I faked it like I was. Mm-hmm. If he thinks I can do it, I can be Tracy, you know? And mm-hmm. so it's just that pattern of, of just kind of jumping in feet first and trusting that it's all happening the way it's supposed to. I was yeah. not nervous doing the talk show. Like I was not, and it just kind of that blows my mind. Real, really? Yes. I, yeah. It does. Well, I think I think it's just like we've talked in many interviews about how like being a talk show host isn't something that you can teach. You know, mm. it's not something that you can go to school for. Like you can go to school for journalism. You can do all that, mm-hmm. but there is something that. Like, for instance, like working at Ellen and watching Ellen do the show every day, there was just a way that she was able to control the room and bring the audience in mm-hmm. that I don't think everybody has that that gift. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think you have to be born with that. And I think also I think what actually helped you, Ricky, was the fact that you didn't know anything. I, I think still don't know anything. Would... That's the, uh, that's <laughs> oh the crazy God. thing. Seriously, I feel like I'm such a work in progress still. And maybe that's part of the appeal is that, you know, Oprah always looked like she had it figured out. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. you look to her for the advice and you wanted to like grow up and be like her. And I feel like with me, they look to me like, oh, she's trying to figure it out too, just like us, you know? Mm-hmm. And I wasn't judgmental. I tried not to be. And I really was like sort of the every woman in a lot of ways. I mean, obviously I, I ended up yeah. making a lot of money and the burden of the financial situation was lifted for me. And that was a big, big mm-hmm. deal. But I, I think everyone sort of saw a little bit of themselves in me, you know? Yeah, yeah and I also think sure. your age sure. probably played a lot in that as well, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And because mm-hmm. like, yes, Hairspray was successful and big, you were still so early in your career to where Hollywood, I don't think, even got a chance to change you or to modify who you were as a yeah. human being. So, oh, that's a good point. So you that's were able point. to just come at it from a more authentic and just real way, you know? Right. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think people understand, like, social media, it has changed the way celebrity works. So, mm-hmm. like... People get to see you mess up now, and, and then you don't mm-hmm. get any time to really, you know, cultivate your craft. And then people already want to give up on you when you just like, I'm still figuring it out, you know? Right, yeah. But I wanted to say that because, Tracy, I actually want to talk about your career. So mm-hmm. can you talk about the impact of watching shows like the Ricky Lake Show and the Oprah Winfrey Show and all those shows and how that influenced you for your career today? Well, when I 
when I started in podcasting, it was just like, I didn't think it was going to like last at all. Like it was a very experimental thing that happened while I was working at BuzzFeed. I was like, okay, well, I guess I better like Google and see how to interview somebody. And somebody was like, well, just think of who your favorite interviewers are. And I was just like, I just told you, I don't listen to podcasts. Mm -hmm. And they're like, but interviews happen all the time, all around you. Like think about like the talk shows and stuff that you were into. First thing I thought of was Oprah. Second show was the Ricky Lake show. Um, And I took very important pieces from both of your interview styles. Mm. And the one that has proven the most effective for me is be kind and be empathetic to the person that you're interviewing. Don't be afraid to ask them about like their feelings, you know, like Mm -hmm. just make them safe, make them feel safe, make them comfortable. Let them know that you are listening. Number one, like, as you said, like being a good interviewer, you have to be a good listener. And a lot of times people are like, you know, how do you get people to open up so much? And I'm just like, I, I'm nice to them, you know, mm-hmm. like not just nice, but like kind, you know, and I let mm-hmm. them know that like I have an emotional intelligence just like, you know, if you say something and you feel like you misspeak, it's OK. I'm not going to trip out, you know, like I'm not going to shut you down and like judge you for anything. Have you met Oprah? Oh, my gosh. I wish. No, um, I've been I've been sending emails and she just won't respond. Yeah. She's busy. She's busy. We have our, we have our heart like we're, we're trying to get her on this show, but I, I don't uh-huh. think it's going to happen. I, I oh, my God. I'm a realist, but we love her anyway. <laughs> she's busy. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure she is. If she's not busy working, she's busy on the, the farm in what Hawaii, where she's like uh-huh. growing. Yes, what and you, vegetables you know, I've she never was even super, heard of. super kind to me in the beginning when I was starting the show before we went on the air, before we started taping. Mm-hmm. She invited. She was kind enough to invite myself and my executive producer Gail Steinberg to Chicago to their studios. I got to sit wow. and watch in the behind the scenes. I sat in their production meeting. I saw her office. Yeah. I took pictures there. Watched the show. Yeah, it was very generous and kind of her to do that. Mm. Yeah. Do you? I'm, I've been trying really hard not to turn this into an interview. You can ask me what. Yeah, ask interview. me anything. I have so many questions. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of a nice way to ask for like some gossip. Is there oh, any yeah. like yeah, good yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what. I, I mean, I don't remember a lot. Oh my god! The first season, I fell madly in love with my first husband, and you mm. know, I met him. I went on the air September 13th, 1993, the same day as Conan O'Brien, and on uh-huh. Halloween of that year, I met that time, the love of my life. I was 25 years old and we, you know, got engaged the first week and the whole thing. And I remember bringing him to the, to the studio, come, come sit in the back and watch me do my work. You know, it was one of those things. And he came and sat and I was so distracted the entire show that afterwards they like sat me down in my office and they reamed me. They were so pissed at me and they banned him. He was banned for like a couple of months. You know, that that's why I was reminded that I'm like, I'm like basically talent for hire. I'm 25 years old and I don't know what the <laughs> f- I'm doing. So yeah, that was a, that was a real wake up call. Did I answer your question, Tracy? <laughs> I'm, I'm enthralled. I don't remember what the question was. Um, Okay, okay, here's a question. Because um, your show is still part of my self-care routine to this day. What what does that mean? um, You still watch it? What do you mean? Yes. So sometimes I'll just be like, you know what? I just have to turn off my brain. I'm going to watch some Ricky Lake shows. That's it. Um, And there's one episode. I can't tell you who was on it. I can't tell you what the topic was. But I just got the film. I was like, Ricky's being kind of flirty with this particular celeb guest. Was it LL Cool J? LL Cool J? Because I definitely was flirting. It actually might have been. When I did reveal to the audience that I, that I, do, I do have a little uh, 
crush on you. Um, oh, I, I think it's partially because you are so real to your audience. I mean, what you see is what you get. When I yeah. talk to you backstage and when I talk to you out here, you're the same guy. Well, I try to be as honest as I can. I don't claim to be a saint. You know, I, I can't walk on rice paper and not leave footprints like that cat in Kung Fu. I just said that earlier, but it's true. <laughs> and, um, you know, I like to be honest. Because- Back then and still today, I think. I haven't seen him in uh-huh. a long time. He is sexy. Yeah, he's always licking those lips. Licking those <laughs> lips and just like I, something about him. And I would get distracted. Like I, you know, I, I don't uh-huh. get starstruck. It's certainly like at that point in my career, I used to get really, really starstruck. But at, when I was doing my own show, I didn't really. But he was mm-hmm. definitely one I, I talked yeah. to my husband about when I went home, you know? Oh, yeah. wow. Role, like Maybe role that, played. No, I don't know. I don't know about that. Wait. Ah! <laughs> he had on a cane yeah. doll and licking exactly. the Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Tracy, I had a question. Um, uh-huh. So you talk Shout about, Shout out you know, to LL. I want him on the show. Come there on, you go. LL. There you go. <laughs> Let's talk about our crush. <laughs> uh, you talk about, you know, representation on the show. Were there mm-hmm. any moments that you watched, especially once you got older, that you look back, you know, even to this day, there are things that I look back at that I was obsessed with growing up and I'd be like, ooh, that was kind of problematic. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> Are, were there any moments that you looked back at an episode and was like, ooh, that, that's really, you know, sitting on the line? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I feel like there must have been, right? Because it's you can't exist doing media back then and not have done something problematic mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. you know, that's a sign of societal growth when something doesn't age well. It's, like, good, you know? It means that, like, things that should not have happened are no longer happening. Right. Um, I'm certain there were some, but I also know that, like, in each of those moments where I felt kind of like, uh, I don't know, like, the, the balance was there because again you know our esteemed host is just being very present Mm -hmm. and thoughtful and kind and like correcting things when things needed to be corrected Mm -hmm. um and again i feel like that's a difference as like from i'm not trying to start no to start no beef but like ricky versus jenny jones Mm -hmm. right jenny jones leans into the messiness she she had this comedian all named Rude Jude, right? Oh, I know that guy. He's. Do you remember Rude I Jude? I know him. I know him personally. Yeah, he's a writer. He's a writer. He's really smart, but he's very provocative. Very. Yeah. I, back then, yeah. I don't even know what he was like, what his persona was like on that show. He was terrible. <laughs> I mean, his name was Rude Jude. Yeah. And his only job is to come and, like, insult the guests. Mm. As horribly as he could, you know, and like Jenny never stepped in and was like, okay, that's a it's a bit too far. And of course, she was a stand up comedian as well. But like that was the point. Humiliation was the point. Mm -hmm. And even when like a show was like framed in a way that maybe didn't age well, like the the heart was still there, you know, Mm -hmm. like. You were there to like correct Mm. as the thing was going on. I don't know if I'm making any sense. Yeah, you are. You're giving me a lot of credit because I don't I don't see myself as doing that like I, I I'm telling you you were so I say were are you were so good like top three interviewer uh, like thank you seriously thank you you're you're really making me feel so good today and I, I you yeah. know the reason we're doing this show is to really look back on it because we think mm-hmm. it's important to kind of go back and during that time the not time of the 90s do you agree that it's important to reflect on the old show in this way absolutely Absolutely. I think that the importance of nostalgia, right, of being able to look back at the things that you really loved culturally as a kid, you get to look back at them with wisdom that you didn't have then, you know. And also as your 
um, making a thing or as a thing is happening, you know, like you often don't get the chance to sit and ponder its significance because, you know, first season, you haven't been on long enough to really like be significant in the ways that we're talking about now. Um, Also, a lot of the things that like capital J journalism, like the the New York Times and whatever other publications (laughs) exist or existed, they tend to gravitate toward, quote unquote, highbrow art, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's just like who decides what the important things are to think about and talk about and dissect. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that daytime TV is not one of the things that gets enough respect these days and like the the discourse of pop culture and things that really changed and shaped society and has contributed to um, who we are now and the people that we've become and like the other forms of media that is given birth to like the Real Housewives and reality TV like would those exist today had shows like Ricky Lake not existed mm-hmm. we don't know but maybe not and it's worth having those conversations yeah. you know because they're fascinating they're so fascinating mm-hmm What's something that you learned about yourself during the show? I'm very interested. Oh, my gosh. What did I learn? I, I mean, the, the whole trajectory of the show, you know, 11 years from, my, from the time I was 23. Really, the pilot was, was 12 years, 23 to 35. I, mm-hmm. you know, fell in love, got married, had two children. And in the end, the last year of the show, I got divorced, you know? Mm. So... I mean, and I was in therapy during the time my my executive producer put me in therapy when I started the job because he wanted me to be more in touch. I'd never been in therapy before. And I certainly didn't think there was anything wrong with me, but it was a way for me to kind of learn about myself. And it it was very smart of him because I was so young. I had not Mm -hmm. had that much life experience. And so who am I to be the barometer or the mediator in this kind of arena, you know? And um, I learned so much about myself. You know, I really came into my own and... You know, now I make these documentaries that I'm super proud of and that have really made an impact in, in a, on a smaller mm-hmm. scale than my show, but deeply, deeply meaningful to me. And I mm-hmm. feel like doing this show helped me to find my real voice, you know, and, um, and to be able to stand up for what I believe in. And that has come as I've gotten older, you know. Back then mm-hmm. I, was, I was very malleable. I was a people pleaser. I still am in some ways. But, I, you know, the show, mm-hmm. I, I just I wanted to do a good job. I wanted people to like me and trust me and relate to me. And I, you know, mm-hmm. I think um, all that, all that happened, you know, and it's just really fun to, to, to talk to you about the show because I haven't really reflected, you know, my life oh, my has goodness. gone on. I've, you know, I've had a lot of life experience <laughs> since, and it's just been really interesting to kind of look at how impactful it was, good and bad, you know, on society, yeah, yeah. on a black kid in Kentucky, a little girl, <laughs> you know, and it's just, it's really meaningful. So I, I thank you so much for, for talking to us. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you, Tracy. Literally anytime. Like, <laughs> I can't, I cannot say those words enough. Ah, the satisfying sounds of more sales in your business. And from the sound of it, your business is growing. But you shouldn't have to pay more to scale your business. With Stamps.com, you can import orders from wherever you sell online, find the lowest rates with the fastest delivery times, and instantly deliver tracking updates to your customers and stock up on supplies. Get started at Stamps.com today with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. Drake and Kendrick Lamar have been lobbing some serious accusations at each other. You've probably heard the diss tracks and wondered, what's just a low blow and what's actually criminal? 
I'm Brittany Luce, host of It's Been a Minute from NPR, and I'm getting into what's art and what's worthy of criminal investigation and who those accusations hurt the most on It's Been a Minute from NPR. It's Been a Minute is a culture show you don't want to miss. Every week, we help you see the culture angle behind the headlines, the forces behind the trends, and the thinkers behind the next big thing. Tune in for the sharp cultural analysis and captivating interviews. Listen now to the It's Been a Minute podcast from NPR. NPR. 